Hi guys, Michael here. Do you want a second opinion on your SEO? Head to theseoshow.co and hit the link in the header. We'll take a look under the hood at your SEO, your competitors and your market and tell you how you can improve. All right, let's get into the show. It's time for the SEO show, where a couple of nerds talk search engine optimization so you can learn to compete in Google and grow your business online. Now here's your hosts, Michael and Arthur. Hello and welcome to the SEO show for another week. I'm Michael Coston and this week I'm joined by Logan Bryant. He is an SEO that I came across on Twitter. He's based over in the USA and he actually shared some content around uh, some work he did for a B2B SaaS company over there called Topolti. It's in the finance space and it was a great case study on generating leads, you know, using SEO to grow a B2B company, which can be tough to do. So I wanted to bring him on the show to talk about that and really delve into the stuff he does around testing. So he had some pretty interesting approaches to testing things for SEO, and we delve into that in this episode. So look, if you're interested in checking him out, you can check out loganbryant.com. But otherwise, I've got about 40 minutes here where we go in depth on SEO testing, B2B SaaS, and using SEO to grow. Hope you enjoy. Hello, Show. For people who may not have heard of you, can you just let us know a bit about yourself and what you do and we'll get going from there. Yeah, uh, my name is Logan Bryant. I do uh, content-driven SEO for B2B SaaS is probably the best way I could describe it. <clears throat> I have been branching out a little bit from SEO in uh, the past couple of years as well, going from purely focused on SEO to uh, broader inbound demand generation uh, you know, encompassing other aspects of digital marketing, uh, particularly, you know, with with an emphasis on on CRO and, and paid search and a few other areas, ABM as well. So, but yeah, very deep background in SEO and I, I do it in-house mainly for B2B SaaS teams. And at the moment, I'm actually branching out of in-house and, and starting to work for myself a little bit as well. Great. Awesome. Well, I came across you um because of your work at Topolti, you know, a B2B SaaS company and the work you did there on SEO. And we'll chat a little bit about that and some of the stuff you've got going on in the SEO world at, at the moment. But when people come on the show, I always like to find out how they discovered SEO and got into this world because it's a funny old world. And um, yeah, I'm always interested in what got people into it. So yeah, how did things start out for you? I think that's a great question because I think SEO is the type of industry where everybody has a unique story. I think like when you certain other industries, you ask them and they, they like had their path mapped out for them. Like, why did you become a lawyer? Well, my dad was a lawyer or, you know, why did you become a lawyer? Well, because, you know, law school was the next, you know, path after college or, or whatever it was. Right. But, but with SEO, it's, it's, uh, there, people don't grow up thinking they want to become an SEO. So it's just like everybody stumbles into it in some unique way for me. Uh, I actually did think I was going to go to law school. I was an English major. I enjoyed writing a lot. Um, went to college with a, an English background, thinking that I was going to, well, originally before law, law school, I was thinking about creative writing. And then I realized that I didn't want to, um, you know, I, I wouldn't really be able to make a great living as a creative writer. So from there, uh, I, I graduated with the English degree, still didn't know what I wanted to do. I was working for a, uh, I was studying for the LSAT and working for a startup at the time and doing multiple things for the startup. 
one of those responsibilities was managing the blog uh, and optimizing the blog. And that's where I came across Whiteboard Friday videos. I had a couple of friends that that were working for, uh, this was in Utah. There was a, uh, I guess, dating myself because this I don't, I don't think this company's around anymore, but there was a, a marketing company called Orange Soda that looked interesting. And um, and then I had a career counselor that was that gave me some pretty good advice. He said, you know, it's I was worried about what should I do with my career. And he was like, sometimes a better question to ask is like, find a company that you would enjoy working for. Uh, and I was like, okay, this orange soda company seems cool. Ren Fishkin looks like he's having fun on his whiteboard Friday videos. And so, um, it just seemed more interesting to me and more like intellectually stimulating. And it seemed like the crowd that I wanted to be around, like the people just seemed friendly and, and open and, you know, and that's still to this day, people share knowledge all the time. Everybody's quite friendly, I believe in the SEO industry. So, um, I shouldn't say everybody, but, but, you know, most of us are, are doing the industry, giving, uh, the industry a good name, I would say. So, uh, that's what got me into it. Yeah. Great. Well, um, out of interest with that, uh, creative writing move and like deciding not to go down that path and what, you know, now in the SEO world, you know, chat GPT being the massive thing that everyone's talking about at the moment. Um, where do you see the future for creative writers? Do you think AI will get to the point that it can sort of put a lot of them out of work or is it going to be more just regurgitating stuff that's already been written before? Oh man, that's, I think that's the question on all of our minds. And I think it's, uh, what I think about in general with chat GPT is I think that the, every, we, we like to predict the future. And I, I just think that like, it, it can be a fun exercise, but I also think that like we, uh, the future usually is ends up looking different than we all think. I mean, mm. I, I look back at like, uh, there's a lot of predictions that haven't come true. Like uh, we, we all, when Siri came out, we were all talking about the future of SEO. It's Siri was going to be the Google killer and everything was going to go to voice. And it was going to be like, how do you optimize for voice search? And I don't hear anybody talking about optimizing for voice search anymore doesn't mean i do think chat gpt will last don't get me wrong i don't think it's going to be quite that uh dramatic of a of a uh, failure story i think it's gonna i think it is a game changer i do think it's going to change not just seo but i think it's going to change the broader field of technology and writing and and communication and all of that exactly how it will change that part uh, is so difficult for me to speculate. To be honest, I think it's the 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 future is going to be different than than even the experts think it will be, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, who could have predicted that? Like, I mean, who who could have predicted that things are the way they are now? I mean, it's just um, yeah, speculation is a t- tricky one for me. But on the other hand, I did see like a an article. There was like a a guy that wrote a whole um, children's book and published it in a weekend with chat GPT and people were mad about it. They were like, Hey, you know, like that's stealing create our, our, you know, other creative writers work or, you know, like the, the, the AI is kind of like, you know, piggybacking on other creative writers work to get it published. So there was a lot of like controversy about that, but um, I think the, the really, the, the, the hard one for me to wrap my head around is just, the hard thing for me to wrap my head around is 
how will we know what's true and what's not true? How will we know what's real and what's not real in the future? And that goes doesn't just go for chat GPT, but it goes for um, uh, what's the, the visual one? Um, Dali 2. Uh, Dali, yeah, Dali 2. So like there's so many things that it's just going to be like, how can you tell what's real, what's fake in the future, especially yeah. as this gets more advanced? That's a little bit scary to me, to be honest. And back to your question of creative, creative writing, I, th- I think it's going to be really hard to distinguish at some point. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's going to be tricky. So we'll see. Yeah, it's scary. It's scary. Like the, the video, like deep fake videos and the like in five years time could be causing wars, you know, if, if we're mm-hmm. not careful. So <laughs> hopefully it doesn't go down that path. But, um, you know, for churning out content for SEO purposes, uh, not so bad. But um, look, I think I wanted to bring you on because, um, as I said, I came across that article about your time at Tipalti, uh, B2B, SaaS, you know, in the B2B world, everyone always wants more leads. You know, we need more leads for the sales team. We need to close more business. So I'm always interested to chat to people in that space about their work on SEO. And I saw that, you know, you're able to five times their SEO growth over your period there. And then out of that process, you had some cool stuff around VA testing and a few other bits and pieces. So, um, yeah, maybe if you could give me a bit of a background about Topolti and um, I guess where things were when you came on there as an SEO and I guess um, a little bit of the work you did there and we can sort of delve into that a bit. Yeah, no, that Topolti uh, is a um, – Topolti was – I think to this day, even still my, my most exciting, the most exciting part of my career. So I talk about it a lot. Uh, and, um, when I joined Topolti, it was, uh, in 2019, it was toward the, the, you know, Q4 of 2019, essentially, I think it was end of Q3. Um, and, uh, they, they're a FinTech B2B SaaS company. Uh, I joined at their series C. And I stayed for just shy of four years or so. Uh, I left right around their, their Series F. So from Series C to Series F, uh, uh, I think at the moment they're still valued at, I want to say, around $8.3 billion. So they're in that sort of like unicorn status of uh, fintech companies. And um, and, and that's, that's like, yeah, that's throughout that first, I would say, 2020 was when we saw the most growth with our organic program and we 5x'd both on the level of traffic acquisition as well as SQLs. So um, those two metrics were 5x and, you know, I should also clarify that the SQLs, the only reason they kept up with the traffic growth, because most of the time you see more traffic growth than leads growth. That's just the natural way of things. But the only reason that the SQLs kept up with the traffic growth was due to the CRO that we were able to apply to the website. So we grew leads, not just because of organic traffic acquisition, but also because of just improving uh, improving the, uh, the conversion funnel, so to speak. Yeah. And I, I, a lot of people in the SEO world are just so hyper-focused on traffic. You know, we need more traffic traffic, traffic, traffic to get leads, but they don't always give so much thought to the conversion side of things, but it's massive. So, um, yeah, what was your approach? You're like, how were you able to generate such a strong conversion rate that your your SQLs grew so much in line with your traffic? What sort of stuff did you focus on? 
the the big one for us was and a lot of people will think that you know blogs are for top of funnel uh to a large extent they are but there's a lot of bottom bottom of funnel uh in a content strategy as well and the big one for us <clears throat> was that we mapped out our topic so it's almost like if you could think of content i'll, I'll speak to it in terms of topic clusters because that's something that resonates with a lot of seos if you could map out your topic clusters on a B2B SaaS site and then pair those topic clusters with a relevant gated asset, because that's one of the, the things that a lot of uh, sites get wrong. Most sites either don't have a CTA at all on their content, so they'll write a post, they'll, they'll get it ranking, and the, the traffic is there, but they haven't given the, the users anything to do. <clears throat> or... Um, They'll have a CTA and it'll be like, talk to sales, book a demo, uh, you know, uh, watch our video. It's not necessarily the right CTA for those users. So Topalti fortunately had a large library of gated assets. Some companies don't even have a large library of gated assets either. So we were fortunate that we actually had enough gated assets where we could do almost a one-to-one -one with the the topic cluster or the topic hub and the gated asset so by by figuring out which gate, gated asset um is going to be most relevant to that topic and then uh and then pairing those up across all of our topic clusters we saw better results than if we just said hey uh here's an article book a demo with us you know what i mean so yeah. that's uh that was very effective for us and how, when you say gated, how gated was it? Were they having to give like contact number and name, email, everything, or just email, and then you would warm them up over time? Yeah, we did have a few fields. I, I can't remember the exact number. More fields than I would care to have, right? I think most most of us marketers uh, would prefer fewer fields uh, to more fields. Although, at the same time, you do, we did have company limitations where you know you do have to meet the uh the the system i guess the system's requirements for counting that as a lead so mm. for us i think it was like um i, I don't i don't want to some of this i don't even know if topalti would want to speak to so i'd say check out topalti's fields for yourself but i think there were about i want to say about six fields maybe six or seven okay. fields that that users had to fill out in, in addition to name and phone number okay or, yeah, that's uh, quite a lot and yeah. email Okay, cool. And so another thing I came across was uh, the link acquisition work you did whilst there because um, there's all sorts of different ways. You know, link building is such a massive part of SEO and there's all different attitudes towards it. Some people just refuse to do it whatsoever. Others will be paying for links left, right and center and not caring, you know, about any potential downside of that. Um, I saw that you guys sort of went with the uh, approach of like quite high quality assets on your website that you would use as link bait um could you maybe delve into a bit that you did on the link acquisition side of things because i thought what you did was pretty cool yeah uh well <clears throat> we did we we explored a lot of link acquisition in different areas um we, we not only did your traditional guest posting we also did some digital pr um i think those were the main two that that we explored uh we also did some kind of 
partnership link building and and um, leveraging existing relationships to build links and things like that as well. Uh, the digital PR um, campaigns, I, I do want to give a shout out to my friend James Brockbank. He's over, uh, he's based out of the UK, runs a company called Digital Loft. They helped us um, uh, mainly with that digital PR side of things. I was too busy and had my hands full. There's no way I could have run that successful of a link building campaign uh, with the internal resources that I had. And so um, came up with the idea. Uh, one of them was profit per, profits per employee, uh, where we researched the top, the companies that had the most profits per employee. So looking at Fortune 500 companies, for example, um, looking at their profits and the number of employees they have and, and which ones were most profitable. In other words, like, um, uh, this is not a real number, but like if, if, if Visa had 500 employees and, and a certain amount of, uh, of, uh, profits, then it would, you know, some of the numbers were ridiculous. Like every employee was making the company a million dollars in some cases or something like that. So you can imagine like, oh man, like my salary as an employee, whether it's Visa or Goldman Sachs or, you know, these are just hypothetical examples. Uh, you'd be like, man, I, I'm making the company that much just by being employed here. It's pretty crazy. So, Yeah. And that, that's the one I saw. And it's I sort of laid out very nicely the content, you know, different graphs and that sort of stuff. So when you say digital PR was, was this um, agency would then go out and promote that to journalists, the marketplace, and then they would cite that in, you know, articles and you'd get links that way. And um, yeah, if exactly. that was the case, so. Oh, sorry, go. Yep. Oh no, just um, that, that's exactly right. I think it, for for a digital, um, my my thoughts on why they were successful. I think one is having most important thing is having that catchy headline, um, just like a page title. Like that's the first and most important thing that a journalist is going to see, and it makes or breaks whether they even open your email to have that catchy headline. So profits per employee being a, a good headline was. Um, part of the success and then ha just having the good research and methodology and then building it out in a very digestible page format. So if you look at that piece of content that's on topalti.com, just really well designed, um, <clears throat> really easy to get in engage with and um, just overall it was really well done. And then like you said, the distribution and the outreach uh, was a huge part of that as well. Okay, and you touched on um, guest posting as the other, I guess, pillar to your link building approach there. When it comes to that, you know, a lot of websites, you go, you reach out to them and they'll say, yep, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, 500 bucks, whatever the case may be. Where do you stand as an SEO on that and paying for links? Do you think it's a sort of must do because that's the nature of the world or do you shy away from that and try and get links other ways? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think Google would tell us don't do it. But uh, on the other hand, I think that ev with everything you have to take, you have to take, um, you have to test things out for yourself. So that's, that's the mindset that I take with link building, with digital PR, with content, with, with anything. And so I think that <clears throat> just, and I think a lot of us seasoned SEOs have learned this by now that if you just go along with what, what Google says all the time, you, you know, you may not be quite as successful as you could be if you occasionally questioned what information you're getting. So for me, I do think it is okay to buy links as long as you are, you know, very scrupulous about it. 
And as long as you know what you're looking for when you're buying links, um, there's ways to quickly get in trouble when you're buying links, as a lot of us know. And so you do have to be careful. But on the other hand, I think that, you know, we've seen a lot of programs work successfully with, uh, you know, when it comes to buying links. I mean, if you, and on the other hand, if you think about it, we're always buying links. I mean, when I hire a, a digital PR company to run a digital PR campaign, I'm not buying one link at a time, but I am buying their services to go out and build links for me. Uh, if I, if I were to hire an in-house link builder, an outreach manager to, to go out and do that link building, we're buying their services to go and build links. And so there's a cost, an inherent cost to link building. The only way that it's, that that cost is not there where, where, you know, Google might say it's purely, uh, purely ethical or purely, I shouldn't even say ethical because I think even buying links is ethical, but but where it's purely, I guess, white hat uh, is is if you're just acquiring links through publishing your content and you know and, and building a brand and things like that. And we luckily for Topalti, we had a brand, and there was a lot invested in brand building too. So, you know, fortunately for us, we could rely on that brand presence as well, uh, and that was a big part of our success too. So, yeah, great. Yeah, I totally agree. There's there's so many semantics at play when it comes to link building, like can't exchange value or time or anything like that for a link. You know, Google's propaganda machine is out there talking about it and there's, that's what they say. And then the reality of the world and what works and, you know, the fact that most of it's not being detected if you do it the right way. So I guess as SEOs, you got to yeah. be able to wade through that and make the right decisions. Um, and again, I would just put one extra thing on that, which is just, you do have to know what you're doing. Like you have to really be, be cautious about it. I, I know SEOs, you know, seasoned SEOs that have, have gotten their sites penalized from building links and it's not, and they know what they're doing when they're buying links. So uh, you, you still have to really know what to look out for. You have to be able to look for the signs, the signs of like, is this link part of a con uh, a part of a, um, a, a PBN or is this link, you know, um, uh, I guess the, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot like is the right for us page explicitly advertising or you know there's all kinds of things to little subtleties to look out for um, when you're purchasing links that just you know I think it's okay to do for sure but I also think that you do have to be very cautious. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, another thing I, I really liked about your time at Topolti was the the testing side of things that you sort of got into. So let's say over your time there, you created content, link acquisition, that sort of stuff is going on. But where I thought it was pretty interesting was you were using a team of VAs, right, to help you with testing different SEO elements like title tags, for example, to see what impact that would have and if you can boost a ranking from, say, position five to one by tweaking title tags. And that's, um, I think probably something that a lot of businesses aren't necessarily doing or even agencies running campaigns for businesses you might do keyword research and mapping at the start of a campaign get it all up and then tick off that yeah you know your meta title tags are done but um where you were coming from was that you can test that and see if you can improve things so could we delve into that a little bit sort of i guess how you set up your testing program what you were testing and yeah how you went about it yeah so um 
what what I'll say as well is that that was like the first thing that we optimized or one of the first things uh, when I started the campaign. In fact, anytime I work with a new client, that's one of the very first things that I try to get or projects that I try to get out the door as quickly as possible is which title tags look under-optimized under and which ones can I test quickly? Because if I can test a few title tags quickly, I can then demonstrate the res to the client that, hey, we can actually get you results in weeks rather than six months that everybody else is talking about, right? Doesn't mean that you're going to get leads immediately. Doesn't mean that you're going to, you know, um, get, get the end result in, in a matter of weeks. But to be able to at least show the client that, hey, we got you more traffic and we did it in a matter of weeks. You know, there's not a lot of teams or, or agencies that are doing that right now. And so that's why that's the first thing that I did. So coming in and optimizing those title tags uh, or testing those title tags is what we did. Um, typically, I would do all of the in terms of how our program was set up. I had a process that functions somewhat similar to like what a CRO process um, looks like where you'll like in CRO, a lot of them will have like a, a roadmap or a uh, kind of a priority log. So I built out my uh, testing dashboard and then I would identify the opportunities. And usually that's by looking for things like, hey, what's the gap between clicks and impressions? Uh, in other words, if there's a lot of impressions, but very few clicks, I could probably do something here. <clears throat> and then, um, uh, or, or, you know, what are the pages that the client cares about? These are what we would, what I like to call the client's money pages. Where does the client really want to rank or where do they make the most profit if we can get them from five to one or even from five to three or, or whatever that looks like, right? So identifying the high value money pages, um, doing so that some of that opportunity analysis, uh, and then I would just do, I would go spend a lot of time doing some search and SERP analysis. And by a lot of time, I don't mean you have to like, it varies, you know, you can do it quickly sometimes. Sometimes just by doing a screaming frog crawl, you can see all of the under-optimized page titles, right? I'm sure we've all been there before where do that screaming frog crawl and we're like, oh, clearly a developer built this website that doesn't know how, how to optimize their titles. So, uh, but, you know, and then taking that and then doing some SERP analysis and then, um, and then I would write the titles myself and then I would simply have the VA go and implement the titles on, on WordPress just because, you know, I, I could certainly do that myself, but it's, it's, uh, it was more efficient for us to do it with a VA. Yeah. Okay. And so over time with testing of title tags, were you finding certain formats for them in terms of the structure or, you know, I see sometimes people talk about putting emojis in title tags to try and influence click-through rate. Were there any learnings that you were able to pick up along the way with your, your testing? Absolutely. I think that the, the, uh, the writing of title tags, I think of it like I think of all of SEO as an art and a science. And that's actually one of the things that attracted me to SEO is like, you, like I came from that creative background. Um, I wanted something that, where I could kind of use that creative thinking and, and that like, you know, writing ability. Uh, but I also was interested in the science side of SEO, the, the data, the, the technical aspects, et cetera. So 
that is very much true with tile testing because you are collecting the data, you're finding opportunities based on the data. You're very data driven in this whole process. But when it comes to the writing of the title tag, that is more of an art. And so treating every one of these titles with a hypothesis is really the way to do it, especially since, as most of us know by now, every single cert result or, or cert page is totally unique. And these SERPs are changing week by week, day by day, sometimes hour by hour. So what, whatever formula you could possibly create for a well-optimized title tag, you have to go into every SERP environment without those assumptions. Because I may find a formula that's going to work, you know, like gangbusters in one area. And then I might go to another area and find a form and find that that same formula doesn't work quite as well. Now, there are still patterns that that do work. For example, anytime you're on a comparison, you know, like a search where the search intent is mostly comparison based, like, hey, the, um, if somebody is searching for AP automation tools or AP automation software and, and you have like Gartner or Captera or other, you know, kinds of software review sites that are taking up that space. It's, it is a best practice to include a word like best in the title tag, the best uh, 23, you know, a number. And so those are formulas that can be applied in multiple areas, right? We do, we know that numbers work. We know that sometimes these uh, superlatives like best or top uh, or things like that kind of work. Um, But on the other hand, there's times when just, doing that thing that everybody else is doing just doesn't work. You're not differentiating yourself. And so I do like to think creatively and I like to think a lot about the, the user intent and the search intent uh, and go a little bit deeper on that. But then the other part of the art is that you have to fit it in a small 600 pixel space. So like doing all of that, like how do you differentiate? How do you have the best click through rate? How do you uh, outrank your competitors? How, you know, how do you make it an engaging title and how do you do all of that in 600 pixels? And so that's where the testing comes into play. And, and you don't know until you actually test it and see if that title works. And so in this day and age with title tags, like when I first started SEO, when we would do keyword mapping, we would just take like the two highest value keywords for that page, the topic of the page, and just put it in the title tag with like a pipe or a dash in between it and then maybe the brand on the end. And that was it. Because you're trying to get as much context, as many keywords in there. Whereas now we're in the era where Google rewrites title tags if it feels like it and that, you know, it can sort of understand the whole page a lot more. And, um, you know, the title tag still is the number one factor on a, a page. But, you know, are you biased more towards writing towards the user and trying to make it compelling and like focus on click through rate or? Is it important to try and shoehorn those keywords in there still because Google does need that context? What, what are you sort of seeing with your testing? Yeah, I do as often as possible try to include the exact match keyword in the title tag. Um, mm-hmm. As often as possible. There's definitely times when you can break from the exact match, but you still want it there in some sort of a phrase match kind of a fashion, right? Like it still has to be there in order for Google to, to really kind of give you credit in that title tag. Um, so you want the keyword in the title tag for sure, whether it's exact match or, or phrase match. Uh, and I think it's, it is much more, Google's far more um, 
capable now of understanding context. And it's far more capable of understanding, like understanding that keyword in the context of the surrounding words or phrases, or even the full article itself that goes along with it. So whereas before you, you would, like you said, you'd just be like, okay, primary keyword dash company name, or sometimes like two or three keywords dash company name. And that did work like that, that I was there for that. We did, we did that a lot. It worked for a while, but to your point, it's evolved to a point where you there's other parts of the search intent that get that that google picks up on due to related searches and we can usually see those other questions people have in like the people also ask section or um or in the auto suggest or or other other ways so we know that google is understanding these keywords with much more broad context now and making your title tag Keeping that broader context in the the title tag creation process is also, and the article creation process for that matter, is also important. So, you know, if you know if somebody is wondering, you know, like what are, what is uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a good keyword example, but like what what is um, <clears throat> the best SEO podcast? Like, you don't want to just say what is the best SEO podcast. You might want to say what's the best SEO or what are some of the best SEO podcasts for 20, 2023, you know? So yeah. things like that, knowing that, that there's, you need, you need to have some, like in that case, having the year might work. Right. But in other cases it won't. So um, I think these are things that SEOs broadly know, but I think that that additional time thinking about the search intent and placing yourself in the user's shoes is something that we don't always make enough time for. And I think that's what is able to look, I would rather have one article rank uh, in the top three for a really, really important search term than have to do the work of going out and creating 40 different articles to get the same traffic levels on, on long tail keywords. Right. So that's where title testing can be a, um, a competitive differentiator for some, uh, for some companies. Very cool. And with the testing, uh, is it as simple as, you know, you create a new title tag, put it in, and then monitor rankings and search console, click through rate, and then report back in X amount of time to to see if it's worked, you know, using your VA to handle that process? Was that sort of how you did it? Yeah, exactly. So um, that is exactly how we did it. Uh, there were times, one of, one of my first tests at Topalti, we saw results within 24 hours, like in search console. I think the keyword was IBAN numbers. That was the keyword. Um, mm -hmm. We had a page already. We did a, a test with it. And then the next day, the day after I did the test, I got excited because I saw clicks going up and I pulled my CMO over. I was like, hey, and this was like within like, I think I was maybe two weeks into the role there or something like that. So I was still trying to show that like, hey, I can actually do this job. I can get you more clicks and things like that. So, uh, and I just showed him, he came over to my desk, checked out the, the monitor and he saw that we had gotten more clicks for IBAN number. He's like, that's pretty cool. I've never seen results that quickly. So that, that was in the 24 hour period, but that's not always the case. More often than not, that page happened to be getting crawled, you know, relatively quickly and things like that. More often than not, you have to, 
do the optimization, resubmit the page to Search Console, and then check over the course of two to four weeks, I would say, in most cases. And if your site is not getting crawled as often, or if it's on a more competitive search environment, you know, those results could be slower or even really hard to detect and measure. There's definitely times when you do a test and and it doesn't go anywhere. And that's why it's mm -hmm. a test. Uh, yeah. But uh, there's also times when you do a test and it does go somewhere and you get really happy about it. So, so outside of our title tags, were, was there any other areas that you were able to test and see, you know, clear cut examples of uh, improvement? Absolutely. My, um, we did URL switch tests, which is interesting. Though not a lot of SEOs do URL switch tests for good reason. It's it can be dangerous to change your URLs. And when you're doing a URL switch test, you do have to use a redirect, whether that's a 301 or a 302, but you do have to use a, a 300 level redirect on a URL switch test. Um, and, you know, a lot, and, and so that's more tricky. I, I like to do URL switch tests when I'm fairly confident that the new URL is going to be better. Because um, I've also done URL switch tests where didn't go well and it was harder to revert that change yeah. Yeah. And, and get the search engine to recognize that. So it's a little more tricky, but it also works. Like the URL in my mind is treated somewhat similar to a title tag, just in the sense of what the string is. It doesn't like, mm -hmm. to me, it doesn't matter like what, which subfolder it's in. It's not a site architecture kind of thing where you're trying to like, you know, have pages in, in a content hub based on URL structure. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the keyword context of the URL. Again, just like a title tag, is the URL accurately describing what the page is about? And is that connected to the search intent? Is the URL, like the title, connected to the search intent? Or at least the primary keyword in some fashion. So um, that's a good test. Uh, we, I would say the second highest um next to title tags the thing we got the most results from uh would be answer box so featured snippet testing um re rewriting those whatever our answer was on that page um, we would look for any first we would look for the opportunities once again look for any pages that were in striking distance usually bottom of page one middle of page one um where we thought, hey, if it's middle of page one, I, and I'm at least close to you know the top three results, then if my answer is just a little bit better, maybe Google will give me that answer box. And um, we treated that like a test. The, the difference there is that it's a lot easier to see if your test was a positive or a negative or, or a neutral test, because if you get the answer box, it's just binary. Like, hey, we got it. Um, that's a winning result, just getting the answer box. Uh, you don't yeah. you don't have to worry so much about measuring the traffic to see if it worked or didn't work. Did you find um, with that you're trying to optimize for the answer box, just changing the content is enough, or were you doing things around, you know, like sort of jump links in the pages or the structure, you know, like heading tag in the answer and the way you structure the page as well? Yeah, we did. Um, usually. Where we got the most results was changing the answer, making it more direct, cutting out the fat or you know trimming the fluff, um, making it super direct, making it the most accurate um, that we could possibly make it. Um, 
And so the, the paragraph itself, or if it was a list, maybe it was a list, then, um, or the table, whatever it was, optimizing that was uh, really you know, where we got the most wins. But sometimes just changing the H1 that went with it helped a little bit more. Um, <clears throat> sometimes I think, um, trying to remember what worked for us. Um, and, and, you know, usually I'd want the answer high up on the page. I'm a little bit rusty on my answer box stuff. I'd probably spit out a bunch of our learnings uh, if, if I was, if I'd been doing the more of this in the past month or so. But, um, yeah, I mean, we did test out other things. We tested out the, we tested out moving it higher up on the page. We tested out changing the, the heading that was connected with it. It wasn't always the H1. So a lot of times it was the H2. Um, and uh, I would say, yeah, but by and far, most of the time, it was changing the context of the paragraph itself was the, yeah. the most impactful, was the easiest yeah. way to win anyway. I've I've found like the keeping it direct and just looking at sentences and cutting out fluff and cutting it again and just, you know, cutting it within an inch of its life so that then for Google's purposes, they can just scrape it and put it in their search results. You know, you want to make it easy for them to do what they're trying to do with it. So, um, yeah. And even rewording it, like we would sometimes just take that whole paragraph that we had, we would just scrap it entirely. We would check out what other people wrote and then we would just like rewrite it. Like, mm -hmm. and that would, cause like sometimes a more radical revision of that paragraph would help us win as well. So I would say, for SEOs, don't limit yourself to just, yes, we want to make it direct. Yes, we want to cut things out, but don't limit yourself to the, like, it's easy to get in that box of thinking like, well, I'll change this, I'll change that. But saying, hey, I want to throw this out entirely and I want to do a whole different paragraph here. Um, that's not quite as common, but that can be really effective, especially when you're stuck and you're not getting there. So don't be afraid to like really rewrite. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with that. Well, this has been really interesting. You know, I think SEO testing is something that a lot of people might be scared to do. You know, you might think the work's done. I don't want to mess with anything because it might go the other way. But, you know, the wins that can be had by going out there and, and testing things and seeing what works and then rolling that out definitely, in my opinion, far outweighs the risk of like ruining everything. Um, so it's mm. been great chatting with you about that. What I want to do is, you know, before wrapping things up, I like to ask everyone that comes on the show the same three questions about SEO, just to get their perspective on things and um, maybe learn some new things. So um, I'm going to fire off three questions at you about the world of SEO and get your take. Um, the first one yeah. is, what do you think is the most underrated thing in SEO? Uh, well, I am biased, but I'm going to say SEO testing. Um, so that, that I am biased as, as you may know by now, but, um, yeah, that's just been my observation that it's just not being utilized enough in the SEO industry and, and what we were able to do with scaling up to a high, high velocity testing program, uh, to me, it was a clear indicator that we're underutilizing this as a lever. And we have a lot of levers at our fingertips, linking, and, and, you know, we have linking external links and internal links. We have, um, you know, rewrites, we have new content, there's and, and new content still one of the most impactful levers, but I would say testing is the most underutilized lever. 
uh, in my opinion. Okay. And then conversely, what do you think the biggest myth in SEO is? Uh, biggest myth. I think there's a lot, I think there's, um, I was thinking about this earlier. I think there was a lot of myths. Um, I'll, I'll, do you mind if I do two or three? Yeah, go for it. Um, the biggest one on the, this is less of a myth amongst SEOs, but more of a myth about SEO from hiring managers and, uh, and, and C-level folk, which is, uh, that SEOs don't need resources or that if we hire an SEO professional in-house, that person will be able to solve all of our company's SEO problems and they'll grow traffic and it's going to be magical. But in reality, you know, I'd say the biggest myth is amongst, amongst those hiring managers and executives is, is thinking that one in-house professional is going to do the job without resources, when in reality, if you're hiring an in-house SEO professional, you need to be able to create a budget and, and that SEO professional needs to be able to manage that budget in the same way that hiring a PPC professional without any budget would be a mistake, right? So that's that's one. And then on the on the more specific to the SEO industry, some of the myths um, <clears throat> that aren't exactly myths, but um, are more like things that we, as an industry um, over-index on or over-invest in, which I would say like on the technical side of things, and let me be clear, I don't think these are myths. I think these are just um, ways our industry could do better. So like on the technical side of things, I think we're a little bit over-invested or over-indexed on a lot of things technical. Uh, Core Web Vitals being a, a very strong example. We like to talk about things that are sexy. We like to talk about things that are in the news. So when Google says something about Core Web Vitals being built into the algorithm or, or anything around that, it becomes like conversation fodder in our community. But that doesn't, just because it's conversation fodder doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be the most effective thing to do for our clients. And, and we, get, we get tripped up by that all the time because we're talking about these things. They, they're, they're sexy to talk about, but they're not necessarily effective. Now, Core Web Vitals can be effective for clients, which is why I say this isn't a myth. It's just something we sometimes over, overdo a little bit. Uh, and yeah. then same with uh, link building, I think, is, is the third one. I think sometimes we, we over-index a little bit on link building. Not to say that link building doesn't work. Clearly, we've done link building at Topalti, and I'm a fan of link building. Uh, but on the other hand, it is hard to measure ROI, and we got much more result, or what we got much stronger results from our content program than we did the technical or the offsite side of things. Okay, cool. Yep, I would um I would agree with that. Like the the SEO news machine and the echo chamber on Twitter, you know, like some. I think the example I like to think of along those lines is when helpful content update was first announced, uh, whenever it was last year, the world went into meltdown. If you were on Twitter, like people were off rewriting their website because they thought they were going to be smashed and then the update rolled out and, you know, it was a bit of a blip on the radar. Mm -hmm. So um, people can sort of, I guess, buy into the hype without testing things, you know, coming back to the topic of testing, it's really about what is actually working on your site you know, in reality, as opposed to what's the, the hot new thing in the SEO world, so to speak. 
Yeah, totally. Cool. Well, um, the last question I have, you know, we in the SEO world, bit nerdy, we like our software, we like our tools, but if you had to pick just three to get the job done, you know, and you couldn't use any other tools, where would you be going to complete your SEO arsenal of tools? Three tools. I, uh, <clears throat> I'm a, a fan of Ahrefs for sure. That can be interchanged with SEMrush. So I would almost put them as one tool because you could, you could be a SEMrush fan or an Ahrefs fan. They fill mostly the same, uh, mostly the same uh, purposes. Not, not all 100%. But um, So I'd go with one of those. Um, and then I would do Screaming Frog is a, definitely a must-have. And then I would do um, probably something like um, like ClearScope uh, for for content optimization. Um, although I did leave out, you know, a lot of people might add Chat GPT in there now, but uh, we'll see. I, I haven't quite made that. It hasn't quite gotten into my top three, but it could be could be one day. Yeah. Well, it's only a couple of months old. There's a lot of uh, chat GPT experts around at the moment for a tool that's only been around for two minutes. So I think right. um, in time we'll find cool cool ways of using it, but definitely, um, yeah, don't know if it's a Like I said, when, when a topic's hot, everybody wants attention. So yeah, they're going to jump on it. Well, look, it's been great chatting with you, Logan. Um, for people that want to connect with you, get in touch after the show, where can they go to get in touch? Um, my website uh, is good. It's just loganbryan.com. Uh, so um, that's a good place. Um, uh, I've got Twitter. Handle at Twitter's Logan's Notions. And then I've got LinkedIn as well. And that's just, uh, I think, the, the LinkedIn slash IN slash Logan Bryant. So um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, I, I would say, out of the, the platforms. But um, I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, and, uh, and on the website. So. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show. It's been great chatting with you. Have a great day. Awesome. Thank you, Michael. Cheers. Thanks for listening to The SEO Show. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. It will really help the show. We'll see you in the next episode.